0: Awesome. Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ari McGee. Joined. As always, by the big three, Jim Heskett, hello, Pippa Werner, hi, and Nick Thacker. What up? Right on. So listen, normally I try to warm us up a little bit and say something dumb so everyone (laughs) loosens up, you know. But this time I want to ask something serious, okay? And it's gonna put Mr. Heskett on the spot. All right. Uh Uh-oh. And if this is uncomfortable for you, we can ask Nick to delete it or whatever. But (laughs) I don't want to expose the secrets, you know, that we talk about backstage, but something you said yesterday, I found very interesting. Okay. Okay. You had mentioned to the Slack channel that you felt like your creative well had been dried up and kind of running on E for a while. All right. And that you came up with a new idea and and you felt really excited about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. Like, I'm not trying to overstate that because I know the feeling of my well-being, like, run down. Talk us through the process of how you recharged yourself and got excited about the new project that you're working on.
1: Like most things, I don't know, when I have an idea for a story, it's usually two different idea atoms smashing into each other is what happens. You know, I've had this idea for a long time. To write a story, um, I don't want to say what it's about, but mm. I had this idea of kicking around in my head for like a decade about a certain story involving a certain type of thing. And mm-hmm. then it just smashed up against a different idea I had. And I was so like, So we're
2: agreed. He f- has a secret erotica pen there. <laughs> like, we all went with that. Our-
1: <laughs> Those two ideas just lined up perfectly. And so it just seemed like the kind of thing where I was like, Oh, I can include this and I'll, this is interesting. I just found a way to get excited about it by including a bunch of things in a story that interest me. So did the elements for
0: the second part of the Atom smash, did they come from reading something new? Did they come from watching the TV? Or are you just on a walk or where, where, what was the catalyst for realizing that the second part of this story was going to fit and dovetail nicely
1: for you? I don't know. I think I was just sitting in my recliner watching BattleBots. I believe. <laughs> Uh, on Discovery Channel. I'm pretty sure sure that's what's happening. And I was like, oh, what if I took this character's subplot related to that? Then it could fit into that. And it just popped in my head. Then I just started thinking of how I can manage this. This is a recurring plot line from this one character. I just thought of an interesting way it could interact with this idea that I had. So I'm just kicking ideas. I'm not really writing down anything yet. I'm in that idea stage where I just kind of think about it all the time for a few days excellent excellent good i'm happy for you man because i know uh the feeling so it's
0: nice when it all works together and you feel like you feel like you know what you're doing again you know so well for me i don't know if you never don't know what you're doing but um okay excellent jim thanks for giving us a peek into the process mm. with no further ado i think we should get into the news Oh, was I supposed to do? Okay, no, sorry. I don't have that. I, It's been too long. So let me ask you, did you really let me make that stupid motion and that idiotic face? <laughs> um, that be I don't to really. really like,
3: I have you guys all on mute for most of this show. Yeah, uh, sure, I just, sure. I just unmute you all when, when everyone kind of stares at the camera and, and no one's mouth is moving. Then I'm like, oh, they must have asked me something.
0: That's real love right there for you guys. That's real love <laughs> for you. Okay, very good. All right. Let's we didn't want to place the, in his life. <laughs> well, you, you did. I didn't. I thought, thought I was, now you do. Thought I was special. Okay, so let's get to the first story. It comes to us from Gizmodo, and uh, it's not. I don't think a lot to talk about, but Amazon Kindle e-readers will now make it easier to load eBooks that you didn't buy from Amazon. I want to say Jim gave us this topic to begin with, and it's about. The um, death of the EPUB, so to speak. Uh, so, Jim, talk us through this.
1: Why is this a big deal for Amazon? Judging by the way RA said Gizmodo, it definitely did not come from him. Um, <laughs> I stopped myself from saying Gizmodo because I thought
0: it would be the wrong thing to say. <laughs> yes. And I mean, you said
2: it.
1: That would have been incorrect. That would have I got been it
0: incorrect.
1: in. <laughs> More hilarious, for sure. So what's happening is that the Mobi file format <laughs> is finally dying. For, many, for a couple decades, EPUB has been the standard ebook format, and the only holdout has been Amazon. It's been the standard for everyone except for Amazon, and Amazon is finally still not joining EPUB, but they are going to be playing nicer with it. And they're getting rid of the Mobi format, so that one of the most popular book formats for the last two decades is going away. And the, you know, the benefits of this, what's well, not going to have a whole lot of impact on readers, but it has some small impact on writers, I think that be a little bit easier side loading. Maybe the, as an author, you'll have fewer files to export and manage, you know, you can just go with EPUB since the send a Kindle thing when they'll just translate it. But cons, maybe, I don't know, maybe some older apps might not work that were Mobi reliant, but yeah, this old formats are dying. The, uh, we're killing the past and moving on to the future at any cost.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Okay. That sounds good. I noticed this happened to me when I was formatting a book recently in Vellum. I didn't go into the settings and make the Kindle default, the Mobi instead of the EPUB. And so I was trying to upload it and Kindle was telling me to kick rocks, but you know how it is. So you guys got anything to add about uh, this wonderful development here?
2: No, I just think, yeah, it's nice when they, stop trying to be super special in a way that we all have to be super special with them at the same time. Agree. agree. Like they're keeping the super specialness, but they're just doing it on their end.
0: Right on. Okay. Nothing else to talk about with that one. Let's go to, okay. So this, this popped up and I found it a little bit interesting. It comes to us from books and au which I think that's AU stands for gold or something. I'm not really sure. Uh, It does. It's uh, the UK investigation into hybrid publishing finds widespread dissatisfaction. Who would have thunk it?
2: Weird is I've always heard hybrid to mean I have some books traditionally published and some books self-published. Like I've never heard hybrid to mean this. Really? So that's odd for me. Yeah. I've heard both. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, like i, I talking it's about
1: Assisted self publishing. Sounds yeah. like that's what the article is referring to, not or actually being a vanity
2: hybrid. publishing. Yeah.
0: Right. So it seems like they're kind of maybe talking more about vanity presses. Am I tracking that right? Mm-hmm. That's probably, yeah, let's say vanity instead of hybrid for this article because it seems to be yeah, more. Yeah,
2: that's what they're using.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's like a, you know, whatever. It's probably a uh, British, Britishism thing. British Right, yeah, weird. exactly. Making um, up words. Eggplant, whatever. Okay, so... <laughs> well, no, what the Brits call eggplants... Aubergines. Uh, aubergines, right. So it's, it's kind of weird. It kind of feels like that right now. So, apparently there's a lot of people that aren't happy with this situation and these people are kind of looking into it. I found this article a couple other places too. What's your guys' take on this Assuming that we get on the same page about that, we're mostly talking about like vanity presses and stuff like that.
2: Oh yeah, Pippa, what you got? What you got for me on this? You you don't pay people up front for, like you you never pay the publisher up front. Hire certain contractors if you want, but no, you never pay the publisher.
0: And in this case, That's, the fees ranged from three hundred and thirty pounds to more than ten thousand pounds.
2: That sounds with right.
0: Two thousand pounds, the median amount paid by writers.
2: I'm not saying go through it all on your own. And I'm not saying don't hire contractors to do stuff because, Lord knows, I should not make my own covers. But it, it, learn about each of the things. I think these are people that thought, oh, this is really complex and I can't learn it. No, don't do that.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's tricky because, you know, we always say like the money should flow to the author, not away from it. And in publishing, traditional publishing, that's exactly how it should be. If a publishing company is asking an author to pay for publishing.
2: Editing um, or social media.
3: Or yeah. If they're asking, say, hey, we're going to publish you and here's how much it's going to cost, run away. Because that's um, a predatory Chandler Bolt-esque, not real publisher. And uh, you Chandler, know,
2: when are we going to have you on the show?
3: I know, but come on. I just watched your brother down in San Antonio. He did a great job. <clears throat> you should be more like him. So – he, uh, yeah, he runs a, a shop that does services for authors, which is fine. The, 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 the bad side, the exploitative side is that he's also saying he's publishing them. So that's where it gets tricky. There are services like cover designers and editors that you should pay for that provide value. But those editors and those cover designers aren't publishing your book. You are. Yeah, you're. That's the difference,
0: right? <laughs> okay, so. What would you guys think it would take for – what would you think it would take for there to be like an ethical vanity press? Because not to put anybody on blast or anything, but I feel like Book Baby baby seems like a vanity press, right? Like they do everything, and then they publish the people. But people seem to like them, and they don't have the same reputation. So what is it that people could be looking for that would – be okay in a vanity press? Is there anything?
2: No, Man. I don't think the publishing <laughs> The amount do that. of
0: thoughts, the amount of brain cells rubbing together right then was amazing on all of you guys. <laughs> Everybody's like eyes were for like all the huh. things.
2: <laughs> no, I just I don't think it's quite like. I, I'm just going to be bitchy. And a traditional publisher, you don't pay for those things because they don't really do them. So, but you also shouldn't pay your publisher to do them. So mm. like, you should pay other people and re- retain the rights. I don't think there's any reason that a publisher specifically should be. Like, If you're going to go the vanity route, there's no reason not to hire either an author assistant who can coordinate contractors or just t- coordinate the contractors on your own.
0: What if there was a vanity press that didn't publish you or take your rights? You just brought them your manuscript and they did everything for you. You paid them a big chunk of money. And then they said, here you go, hit publish on it.
2: That sounds like an author assistant though. Oh, yeah. Cause they're not like publishing then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could have something in the front that was like formatting and whatever done by, but I mean, that's kind of already a thing. Mm. Nothing they're bringing to the table. Sort of the
1: nature of a vanity press is that it's a book that wouldn't get published by traditional publishing otherwise.
2: Although – There's no
1: good vanity press, you know.
2: Damn you for coming up with the concept about what if you were to pay a vanity publisher not to actually publish you because someone will try to sell that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Copyright RMG 2022. (laughs) Okay. All right, cool. You know, this is interesting. Just be careful out there, people. If you're paying out absorbent amounts of pounds to get your book into the world, it might not be the best situation for you. So buyer beware. All right. The next story is coming to us from, I'm going to say friend of the show, right? He's been on the show. We all like Dave Chesson. It's coming from Dave Chesson, kindlepreneur himself, and it's how to revive dead book sales managing your backlist now i chose this story after the vanity press story because i think that it kind of butts up nicely to each other if you're not giving away your rights to someone the best thing you can do is make a backlist and make your books work for you uh because those people won't help you once your book's out so let's say that you've chosen to stay away from the vanity press or, or traditional or anything now you're in charge of a half a dozen books You need to manage them. You need to keep them them breathing and trying to give you money. So what do you guys think about what Dave's saying here? And do you have any takeaways on how to breathe uh, life into your backlist? Mr. Thacker, I think you've got a backlist. What do you think? I actually just read this again because it was not the first time it's been published.
3: He updated it recently, and I saw it like last week, I think. And so I was going through, I don't disagree with anything, any of his points. I think this is all really solid advice. However, I mean, the the challenge with it is, I guess the caveat is it's not easy. If it were easy, it wouldn't be a problem for any author. You know, he goes through his step one is, oh, if you have a cover problem, like here's how to fix it. The problem isn't, you know, most authors don't have the problem of going, well, I've got a cover problem clearly and I need to fix it. They go, my cover's fine. I don't understand. When their cover is in fact not fine and it sucks and they just don't have the eye to know. And I think that's the case with all of these, like my keywords are great. They're totally perfect. How do you know? You know? And so I think this, the challenge is your book, if it's not doing well and in, in backlist or whatever, you've lost like the honeymoon phase or whatever we want to call it. The challenge is to not, you know, to not do all of these things because you don't want to just here's the deal. If, if you do have a cover problem and you some bad keywords, you can change those things, but by changing, just going down the list and doing every single thing here, you're not going to know what thing affected the change. If you actually start selling better, does that make sense? You're doing, you're changing too many things. And so it's really challenging to know what's the one or two things that I should change and how do I test it? You know, let me get a new cover on it and see if that does anything. Nope. Okay. Let's move to the bad keywords. Let's fix the keywords. Does that change anything? Nope. You know? And so there's just a lot of these things that you have to do, but you have to do it slowly over time.
2: Yeah. it's
0: challenging. I don't know. Mm. Somebody right else talk. Right
3: Order on. of
2: operations. Bed mass. Good, good experiment protocol.
0: Mm, there you go, there you go, Jimothy. What are you doing to keep your robust backlist making cheddar for
1: you? The best way to revitalize a book sales is to release a new one in the series. You know, the best way to revitalize an entire series worth of book sales. You know, every time I release a new book, a later book in a series, it helps the the whole series sell better. You know these tips are mostly about like relaunching a book, but I would say you know if you've got a series, you just release a new book in the series, or you try KDP free days or Perma free on the first book. If you're talking about a standalone book, why bother? Yeah. You know, I I have you know I've been publishing long enough that I have books that are almost ten years old now, and you know a couple of those are standalones and they make me a dollar or two a month. It's really not worth my time to to redo everything and give it like the first chapter edit and do the cover and redo the keywords and do all that stuff. Just so I could make a few more dollars a month from a book that mostly the potential audience has already tapped.
0: Okay. All right. And down here in step three, okay. It's make the decision to update or republish as new. What are the situations in which you guys would advise someone like maybe just take this whole thing down and start over? Because some people are, are asked about that. And I think maybe they would like to know, cause actually I just saw a, a post in one of the groups in the last couple weeks about it. So what would you guys tell someone who's asking, Hey, should I republish this or should I just kind of move forward? Pippa, what, what do you think about that?
2: Is the same group of people going to want it? So if you've got really good reviews and it's going to appeal to that same set of people, And so all of the algorithms that are already working are working, then just update it and put in a new copy. If you're actually going to materially change the story, that one's iffy, but I'd say most of the time that would fall on republish. So I actually had one story that I mashed in with an entire other story and added in other story lines. And so I republished that with different covers and different names and stuff like that, but. Took the originals down.
0: Okay, all right, good deal. This is a pretty good article. I actually think it's really in depth. You know, he's actually got a really good Dave's got a really good launch strategy kind of checklist uh, towards the bottom as well. Which you know, if you don't know how to launch a book, it looks pretty darn good. Uh, I'm not saying that it's not good. I'm just saying if you're looking for help on how to launch a book that's pretty good a pretty good way we've
2: gotten to the point of shading people that we have to be like oh this is honest
1: yeah yeah no (laughs) exactly you and now (laughs) dave has an amazing bio photo it might be the best bio photo i've ever seen he has so many different elements in that photo it's incredible yeah just the picture of him in the superhero pose with the baby Yeah. yeah so many different like little demographics that he touches in that picture it's so orchestrated it's beautiful yeah yeah
0: he definitely knows what he's doing. I like Dave. He's a yeah. good dude. Good dude. All right. Good deal. So check this story out if you're interested. I think you'll definitely find something uh, from it. The next story that we have <coughs> I think is incredible. I feel vindicated because I hate Twitter. This comes from the Daily Mail. Sorry, Nick. Uh, I also found that on a lot of other outlets, but I thought – Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll you. allow it because this is news <laughs> uh, across the board. OK, let's see. So this is from the Daily Mail. It's about Elon Musk's potential buy out of Twitter, which, you know, I'm always happy to see African-Americans doing well. So mm. good Love job, it. Elon. Love it. Let's see. It says almost <laughs> half of President Biden's Twitter followers are fake. Audit reveals as Elon Musk puts deal to buy big tech giant on hold over bots. Says just a 49 percent of Twitter followers on the official POTUS account are fake, and before anyone accuses me of playing politics, it says that 42.4 percent of Donald Trump's followers are fake. Now, I think this is I think this is interesting because it seems to reveal to me a kind of house of cards that Twitter has had going on, where they were purporting to be more involved than they really are with the populace. Okay. And I say that because I saw some influencer, whatever said that they started cracking down on bots a couple months ago. they lost like 80% of their followers. And I just think it's incredible. I think it's incredible. So I want to get your guys's takes, but to the, to the point of so to the point of, wow, I can word off My question, is this going to change how you interact on Twitter, or should it change how authors are interacting on Twitter when they think that they're really trying to get some traction speaking to real people? Whichever one of you guys likes to twit a lot. Who, who mm-hmm. twits the most? Uh, I do twit. Uh, Not
2: always on Twitter, even. Oh. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, with news, I tend to, if there's any word in the the title that's all in caps, or if it says mm-hmm. the words on blast or claps back, mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm just gonna close this article. Mm-hmm. I would say that there has been very compelling evidence that yeah, social media don't ever get into an argument who's with someone whose user handle is name bunch of numbers. Just don't do it. And then, because they're probably bought. And then also it looks like Elon Musk doesn't actually have the money to buy Twitter and is trying desperately to back out of it. So that is actually what I think is happening in this case. But yes, bots are a huge problem on Twitter as well. Don't.
0: Whether he's, I don't know whether he's backing out or not, but 50% of followers on the president account for the last two presidents. That's pretty bad. That's
2: That's pretty bad. bad. Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Nick, I've seen you tweet. I saw you tweet not too long ago, man. What do you
3: think? Yeah, Twitter blows. It's a cesspool. Hopefully, whatever happens, Twitter will die. It's the good reads of social media. Nobody will have to care about it anymore because Twitter will be gone. I don't know. I don't think Elon's um, backing out. I think he's doing due diligence. When you buy a house, you buy a house with some assumptions in place, and then you do your inspection or inspections, and you have plenty of – chances to back out at that point. That's true.
2: I just try not to do my inspections publicly in 140 character tweets with poop emojis.
3: He didn't. He's just announcing what he did
0: (laughs) privately, right?
3: He's not publicly cracking the books and showing us like he's doing all that stuff anyway. (laughs) And he does have the money. He's not doing it with his own, you know, Wells Fargo transfer. He's putting together some investors and- You You can't do that with Zell? you can't do that much.
2: Yeah. Zell will cut you off. I think. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Slightly
3: yeah, I hit my,
0: my Venmo limit.
3: Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, this isn't, this is just, I think the media, like it's being the media and they're a bunch of little bitches and they don't know, they don't know what to think of this guy, Elon. Jim's shaking his head. Are they not being little bitches, Jim? I just, just
1: really, I really don't like the B word.
3: They're being mm. little, what do you want me to say? The C word? What's better?
2: <laughs> it's an ankle because it is three feet below a sea.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's you can right. call them
2: ankles. <laughs> One of my friends does.
3: <laughs> well, they are. That's what they're being, and they're just whining about this. That's all it is. Pro or anti Elon doesn't matter. This is just the media being the media. He's doing a normal thing, trying to take a company private. This is exactly the the process you would go through to do that. And yeah, sure, he's tweeting about it the whole time. you can argue that he shouldn't do that, but. Absolutely, he should be trying to figure out if half of the freaking platform is fake or not because I wouldn't want to buy it for that price.
2: Yeah. yeah. Maybe he'll get a deal. Maybe he'll get a I'm deal. I'm also the type of person what who you, would probably not have think? tried to take over a company by force. So <laughs> just bad feeling. Well that ain't that ain't out of the blue
3: either.
0: That's not <laughs> abnormal. It's pretty common.
2: Oh it is. America, but yeah. Right? I just wouldn't.
1: <laughs>
0: Jim. How yep. about our how about our 50% fake accounts going on over there?
1: Oh, that's that number's definitely made up. Twitter themselves don't even know how many bot accounts they have. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Joe Biden has a certain percentage of fake accounts and every account has a certain percentage of fake accounts. Nobody knows what that number is, not even Twitter. But to answer your original question, this will not change at all how I continue to ignore <laughs> Twitter on a daily basis because everything I do there is automated. I never yeah. look at it. Do you think, should it be? Like for most authors, should we just automate it and forget about it? Probably for thriller authors. You know, it might, Twitter might be, some authors might be killing it in certain genres if that's where their readers are, but I've never found my readers there. Because
3: you and I are talking about this offline, like how to do social media, and I just, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I could take the Elon approach and just buy it so I can kill it, but I can't. Yet, buy my books, everybody. Maybe I'll be able to buy Twitter, and waffle, stomp it down the drain. Before
2: you try to kill it, you should just watch the producers one more time, and just you know, springtime for Hitler in Germany. Does anyone know? What I haven't watched I mean? the producers the first time.
0: About. No. Why do have to to I have to watch it? It's a show. whole like,
2: comedy about they they need to bomb a play, and so they get a musical about Hitler and.
0: Mm.
2: they're like, it's going to be terrible. And everyone's like, this is the most brilliant satire ever.
0: Cool. Yeah, I missed that one. (laughs) I saw Nathan Lane and Will Ferrell, and I was like, I'm out on this. (laughs) I'm out on this.
2: Oh, you can just watch the original. I think Mel Brooks
0: was in the original. Oh, okay. Even better. I'll watch Mel Brooks now. (laughs) So let's see. We've got 20. uh, I kind of want to get into this last story, but I don't think I'll give us enough time to do it justice. So let's just do it next time. If you guys have a. Dang, I, I was, was ready. for that? <laughs> oh. Are you all right? Let's do it then.
1: We'll ready, go over a little. What? No
0: worries. I don't know. So, ready story not. number five. Story number five. With the advent of AI, there has come certain uh, opportunities to automate things in people's lives. Okay. Now, one of which is using AI to produce audiobooks for authors. Now, as you can imagine. This causes a bit of consternation with audiobook narrators who rely on their job for their livelihood, and you know the, they could feel like the bots are imposing on them. This week, and I know that's going to date this, but this week, Nick, Nick went kind of public with his uh, effusive praise about bots, or AIs, I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about Twitter, about AI-generated <laughs> audiobooks. And that drew the ire of some people uh, who are coming after him with pitchforks. So before we give Nick the platform to talk about this, Jim, Pippa, do you guys have any quick thoughts about whether you're interested in AI
1: to produce audiobooks for yourselves? Interested? Sure. Yeah. Nick and I have talked about it. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay.
2: Okay. It sounds like it could be interesting. The technology is coming along at a really incredible pace. Okay. Like right now it's much too finicky for me to want to work with it, but there's a lot that's coming down the pipe. So yeah, it, it, before
0: I let Nick go, I'll say in my humble opinion, after listening to it, it's not there for me yet, but it's, I mean, what's it a month away, two months away, who knows? You know what I
1: mean? So Yeah. Now Nick, I, but hold on, alright. Let me also add the caveat that uh, my interest does not also equate an anti-human narrator opinion.
0: So that's a real like Blade Runner kind of thing you've got going on. Protect the people too, not just the replicants. All right. So, Nick, everyone's coming at you with pictures pitches forks, pitchforks over this issue. Do you want to clear up anything about your feeling about AI for audiobook narration? Yeah, I think there's some assumptions
3: any listener hearing me right now is going to assume any assumptions are going to have. However, I have nothing to clear up with the people coming at me with pitchforks because they refuse to acknowledge what I've said from the beginning, which is I am not doing AI narration in, instead of human narration. I'm offering both. You know, I, I currently have my human narrated audiobooks pulled down the Harvey Bennett series only because I'm having another friend of ours, Mike do redo them in human narration format. And those will be distributed the same way through Audible and all that. Um, But I'm giving my readers an option to download a much cheaper version that's AI. And I've had a lot of readers buy those and they like them. And I've had a lot of readers that don't like them and that are going to wait for the human version, which they'll have to pay more money for. So that's really, for me, what it comes down to is it's good business. Um, As an author, I'm offering my readers more formats than fewer. The same debate is still raging about going wide versus going exclusive with Amazon and you know, yeah, one of them isn't, you know, made by a computer, but that doesn't matter. We're, we're not, we're I'm talking about specifically the idea of taking your business into your own hands and offering formats that your readers might want, your listeners in this case might want, but they won't hear that. They they hear any progress in the AI front is a personal attack on their career and livelihood. I just, I firmly disagree. That's just not true. You know, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm 99% sure that fast forward 10 years from now when AI is every bit as good as humans, we're still going to have human narrators. Yeah, it's going to change and the the landscape is going to be different. And narrators are going to find out that they're now competing with robots to do their job. But that doesn't mean that their job is going to go away. They need to niche down. They need to get really good at what they do. And they need to have a readership or listenership that follows them around like R.C. Bray, Will Wheaton, you know, whoever it is. That's, I mean, that's my three cents on it, but yeah, people are going to attack me anyway because it's Twitter and it's a cesspool and it, it absolutely brings out the worst in humanity. But yeah, I mean, whatever. I got some strong words I could use too, but basically I'm not listening to anybody who's attacking me because they're attacking me on some straw man fallacy that doesn't actually represent what I've, what I think about this whole thing. I mean, hell, I've narrated books myself. Nobody wants to listen to them, but I have no problem doing it. You know, I I have I have a lot of friends who are narrators. We have a studio that is doing human narration. Like I don't know what these people want, other than they want AI to go away. And I'm sorry, by attacking the authors providing and producing this stuff, they're not helping the problem. They're just exacerbating and you know some kind of putting a wall between authors and narrators. What they need to be doing is going to Google, IBM, Apple, Amazon, and saying, "Hey guys, can you please stop? Please." our livelihoods are at stake, we think. And, and if you guys keep, you know, innovating, then we won't have a job. And I'd love to see how they respond to that. I'd love to see how Amazon responds to not producing Amazon Polly and making it better and better every day.
2: I'm sorry, w- what book were you calling about? Exactly. Says the person on the Amazon line.
3: Yeah. Anyway, so they're attacking the wrong people. They're doing it the wrong way. They're losing sight of the actual argument. Eh, I'm okay with that. No skin off my back
0: okay right on on resident futurists everyone nick dacker always on the cutting edge of stuff i appreciate that about you i'm not it's not in my dna to do that i'm the codger who's pulling technology back but that's good so what do you how do you feel about it Then, do you not want it to progress or what i think it's inevitable i'm of two minds i think it's inevitable that it's going to be it's gonna get there. I mean, it doesn't have any option right now. It's not there for me. You know, I think the inflection is a little flat, and uh, you yeah. know it just doesn't sound it doesn't sound like I want it to sound for one of my books yet, but in the future it will it's crazy to think it won't, you know, but at the same time, I understand people that are concerned about their livelihood, not the way that they're going about it, but I understand the concerns you know if it let's say ten years from now, they write. You know, AI, because AI is a dumpster fire for writing books right now. Like, we all laugh about it. You know, they come up with crazy sentences. But at some point, they're probably going to put together really good books. And, you know, there's some of us will be like, oh, damn, dude, you know, what's going on? But, you know, you can't stop progress. You got to get with it or you are going to get rolled over by it. And that's just the way it is, you know? Yeah. And for what it's worth, the
3: main, uh, not the main, the first person to kind of call me out on this firmly entrenched in the sag After Guild debate against AI, all that, whatever. I messaged him privately. I was like, Hey man, I guarantee we would be friends if we met in person. So let's meet in person. So right now we're going to get together in Houston at the beginning of June. I'm flying down there. I'm going to buy him a beer or three, and we're just going to talk about this. I'm thinking about trying to do some kind of a live you know stream of it or whatever because i think it's a good debate i think it's a really important one for authors and narrators to have you know i feel like we we understand each other more than we think we do we just haven't fully been able to talk about it without the twitter bullshit Mm -hmm. you know
2: and there's also you know there's the understandable bad feeling from authors who are saying okay yes but I'm also not buying your services because I don't have the money to do it. So I'm yeah. already not a customer. But
3: that's the thing. Yeah. So they, they were trying to throw that back. So if you're producing AI, you know, you're taking a job from a human. I'm like, no, I'm not. There's books that I would never have even done a royalty share with. It's just not going to happen because they don't earn out, you know? Yeah. How um, do we appeal to the people that would pirate our books and make them and, buy them? I mean, damn it. It's my choice. I, it's my career. I'm sorry. Like I'm an author first, not a narrator. Sure. I feel for you, man, but you can't do your job without my work. So uh,
0: why do I, why are you entitled to, to reading my audio? Who cares? And I I definitely agree, agree with you. There are, I have novellas out that I would love to plug into an AI and let them spit me out a really nice audio book. Cause you know, I'm not going to pay my guy to do a novella. It's not going to happen either way. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but yeah, I would love that. So when it gets there, I'll definitely avail myself of the services, but I mean, I understand, you know, I understand. What's you too shall join me in running from pitchforks. I don't run, I sir. You. Have you me seen me? Journey. I'm built for power, not speed. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, man. I'm like the Wayne Rooney of author. author <laughs> <work>. <laughs> right on. <laughs> All right, guys. It looks like we had a productive conversation about it. You guys got anything you want to add or Mulligan's alibis for the day? No.
3: I'm sorry, uh, I used the B word. <laughs> All right. I'm only sorry because I like
0: Jim. Otherwise, I just want everybody to know that they are little b words. Okay, all you of them. Be, you community. should be. Yep. You should be. I don't sure how Pippa feels, but you should be twenty five percent sorry because I don't mind. But you should be okay. sorry. You know, and thirty three point three appro- three repeating. Percent. Appropriately sorry. I think that's the fair way to do it. All right. So for all of us at Author News Weekly, <laughs> I'm R. A. McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye. everyone.